Hello, good morning, good evening. You are listening to Gore and Guilty Podcast. I am Greg. And I'm Georgia. Once again, we're welcoming you. I think we're... Are we we in double digits now? Is this episode 10? You're joking. Is it really? I don't know. We probably should check before... I think you were close. I think we're close. It is. It's episode... (gasps) Dos. No way. No, Dos is two, isn't it? Du, du. (laughs) Zen, if you're German. (laughs) We don't... Yeah, we're not multicultural enough, sadly. We are able to count, and yes, this is episode number 10. Woo. We're very happy to have you here, and um, I say let's just get into things. How how are you doing, Georgia? I'm very good, thank you. It's a, a bank holiday this weekend, so that's very exciting. Whoop, whoop. So, um, but yeah, no, I'm good, thank you. Doing really well. How are you, Greg? Feeling much better from last week? Much, much better. You can probably hear that my voice is slightly less nasally now. <laughs> And I'm feeling more chipper and back on top form, I think. Glad to be back to reality and back to life. I'm glad. I'm glad too. What have you what have you got plans for the big bank holiday? Not a lot. Nothing. <laughs> there's not much <laughs> that we can do, but I definitely there is a couple trips to the pub that are that is definitely in order. Nice. But other than that, maybe a couple walks. It is quite nice weather at the moment, so yeah. Lovely. Couple of country walks. Country walks, country pubs. Oh, what a great combo. I finally got my post-COVID lockdown haircut booked in. Nice. <sighs> Thank God. That'll be a weight off my head, literally. <laughs> you definitely. Oh my gosh, I am in absolute need for that. That My hair has never been this long before. <laughs> <laughs> what, what sort of cut are you going to get? Are you going to have it all off or...? bowl cut i think a bowl cut yeah it's just like bowl on top to be fair i could do that myself it's like why don't you do <laughs> yeah. yeah get luke to do it yeah no it's just uh just a, i need a good old trim i think how about you any funky funky hairstyles no i'm pretty changeable though i normally just kind of look at pictures on the on my way there and I go oh yeah that looks nice that'll do and then just kind of you're not gonna not gonna what you're not gonna go for the uh the gelled front cliff hairstyle that we mentioned in uh, I think it's like episode <laughs> the Santa Kimes one where you're gonna get the gel front slick look I think I might do it just to fuck with your head yes <laughs> yes yes I think we need this little throwback we've got a couple of questions that have been asked again. Well, some of them are from a previous week. Yes. So for those of you that have been waiting a while to ask us questions, or, or you think we've ignored your questions, we might not have. We just left them <laughs> till this week. Yeah. Shall I just jump into them and you can answer them first? Yes, go for it. Exciting. Let's do that. The first one is cool, actually. What did you want to be when you were younger? Oh, okay. What did I want to be when I was younger? Probably quite a weird kid, but... That this was like my all-time goal that I really wanted to be when I was older. But actually, in reality, doing this podcast, probably not that weird. (laughs) I, from probably the age of five, said that I always wanted to work in the police or work in the prison. (laughs) Flat out. If anyone asked me, I would absolutely 100% want to work in either the police or the prison. Didn't turn out that way, because... And I'll work in wildlife and the environment, <laughs> but I still do this podcast. So that interest has always, always been a part of me. Um, but yeah, I always wanted to work in a prison, which I always got quite strange looks when I was a kid. <laughs> They're like, are you sure? <laughs> but, a yeah. dream of going to prison. Yeah. <laughs> Not locked in. But yeah, what about you? What did you want to be when you were older? When I was a kid, I remember distinctly wanting to be one of two things and one of those was a train driver yes really wanted to be a train driver because i was obsessed with thomas the tank engine (laughs) that's amazing i've got a young niece now who watches it and it's all coming back to me a little bit but i used to be obsessed with all the characters and i could give you pretty much a play-by-play of every episode and i wanted to really really be a train driver then the other thing which is kind of related, very similar, it was a JCB driver. Oh, so proper big truck. Yeah, well, like a... JCB. Yeah, JCB, you know, kind of <laughs> unload rocks and stuff. I can't remember 
when those dreams died, but I obviously am not a JCP or a train driver, sadly. <laughs> but they probably could still be good jobs, you know? Yeah. I find I enjoy my time on the train. Admittedly, I've never really been... Oh, no, I have been on the JCP, actually, because for my, I want to say, sixth birthday... Yeah. A local builder offered to take me on a JCB around the block. <laughs> That's amazing. And thoroughly enjoyed it, so maybe I need to re-examine these dreams. Yeah. And potentially pursue them. Maybe this is your, like, calling. Could be. Could well be my calling in life. I've kept it buried until now, and it's come out thanks to one of our lovely users asking <laughs> a... That's a very interesting question, actually. That's a... It's very much a, like, get-to-know-you question, so... It is. It's got me thinking. So thank you. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, no, it's really good. I think it, probably the other one would be dancer as well, which obviously wasn't, obviously didn't happen. What, sorry? A dancer. A dancer? I thought you said Darth Vader for a second. <laughs> what? <laughs> I want to be a prison officer or Darth Vader. <laughs> <laughs> one or the other, nothing in between. <laughs> well, actually, to be fair, that's kind of equally different, is a prison officer slash police officer slash dancer yeah I know. yeah yeah i because i danced as a kid until i was probably about eight mm. i'm there probably yeah 20 or something 2021 yeah that was always i think every girl well not every girl that's too generalized <laughs> pigeonhole yeah a lot a lot of not just girls like a lot of people want to become dancers when they're older but that never really happens but yeah dancer Present officer, Darth Vader. You could have been in the Pussycat Dolls or something. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Cheeky girls. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, that's that's a good question, funny. though. I like it. That was a good question. Shall I ask the other one? The next yeah. question is going to have a much quicker answer. And that's, who is taller? <laughs> Definitely me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're built like a brick shit house, mate. <laughs> that's it, exactly. Yeah, no, definitely Greg. Greg is five, five. Why do I always, whenever I say how tall you are, I always start with five. It's not five. It's so not five. <laughs> Six foot five? Yeah, I think so. Thereabouts. I can't, yeah. yeah, I never really measured. Maybe I should. You're a little bit taller than Luke. Are you 6'3? So I think you're about, probably about 6'5. And you're in between Tom. He's got the dreads helping him as well, because they kind of go up a bit, up and down. Yes. That gives him an extra think... inch, I reckon. Oh, don't tell him that. Yeah, <laughs> this is a test on whether he actually listens to the podcast. <laughs> he'll uh, definitely comment on that. But yeah, now I'm five, six. So you're nearly like, like a foot taller than me. Yeah, I think so. And you're not that small for a girl either. But obviously, because we, no. when, in our, when we lived together, we had, so it was me, Georgia, Georgia's boyfriend and a few of our other friends. And everyone's really tall. Everyone's tall. Apart from one of our friends, Rod, who's... Is he shorter than you, Georgia? No, he's... I will give him credit. He is probably <laughs> the same height as me. <laughs> or slightly taller. Don't worry, Rod. Got your back. So, Rodri was like five foot six. And I think every other... Every other male living in that house was at least six three. <laughs> Oh, yeah, without a doubt. I think every everybody was well over six foot. I lived in a house with a bunch of boys, which that was, um, I should get a medal for sure. <laughs> mm. It was a madhouse of lanky freaks. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Let's move on to the main event and... Hopefully it's you leading the episode today because I haven't prepared anything. <laughs> yes, it is indeed. I'm quite excited about this one, actually. It's um a really interesting case. And I haven't really heard other podcasts do it that often. Well, the ones that I've listened to, I haven't heard them do it. So you're in for a treat. How exciting. Yeah. Where, where are we starting? England. And this is the case of Donald Nielsen. This one was actually suggested to me by my dad because he remembers this when he was a kid and it was everywhere on the news. It was such a big case and it really set fear in the public. But yeah, he really remembers it, which, which is really interesting. But I can, I can see why, to be honest. Donald Nielsen was born Donald Nappy, which is a... 
<laughs> a very unfortunate surname. Yeah, that's a pretty savage surname. I imagine he got some mean comments at school because of that. He did indeed. And um, <laughs> later on, he he does end up changing it to Nielsen. Wait, so Donald Nielsen, Donald Nielsen, Donald Nappy. Yes. Before, I, you know, just in, uh, is he a killer? Because otherwise it makes it mean that we laugh at his surname. No, no, no. He's an awful person. Oh, brilliant. So, yes. Donald Nappy, what a yes, silly yes. name. <laughs> <laughs> I apologise if anyone else is called Nappy. You're probably lovely. But this Nappy, for instance, this one is uh, not a good, not a good person. Not at all. <laughs> we've, we've, only, we've only got about 500 followers and I, I think we'd be so unlucky if uh, if one of those has got the surname Nappy and has tuned in and feels particularly sensitive about it. Yes, yes. <laughs> Very sorry. <laughs> Donald Nappy was born on the 1st of August 1936 in Bradford, West Riding of Yorkshire, England. And now West Riding of Yorkshire, England is where the Yorkshire Ripper was born. So it's from the same area, which is quite interesting. But I think there's a 10-year gap between them. So they weren't killing at the same time, I don't think. At age 10, he unfortunately lost his mother, who died from breast cancer. And it was said that he had a very unhappy childhood. In 1948, aged 12, he used to break into shops. And one time he was caught. However, he was only cautioned due to his age which i think is quite that's quite a a young age to start breaking into places and stealing and i think anyway how old was he 12 12 yeah that's pretty young i didn't start stealing until at least 14 (laughs) (laughs) no i'm just kidding that yeah that is an early age to start your criminal activity and he's doing it alone as well there's no peer pressure doing it with a group a bit of fun bit of burglary with the boys as a 12 year old you know (laughs) Whatever floats your boat. But no, um, but yeah, I do think it's quite young. April 1955, 18-year-old Donald marries Irene Tate, who was, also, who was 20 at the time. And they lived together in Bradford, which is the same area which she was born. Sorry, that's not... <laughs> We're still in the same place. We're hunkered down, hunkered down in Bradford. <laughs> His wife encouraged him to quit the army, which he served as a lance corporal in the king's own Yorkshire Light Infantry. He loved army life, which can also be described as an obsession. He had an absolute fascination with guns, especially since he toured in Cyprus and Kenya. Army was just his absolute life, be all end all. That's what he wanted to do, and his wife encouraged him to leave. Could be a bit of resentment there for that, I imagine. I don't think it was a smooth transition. And years of being called nappy. <laughs> probably took it out on poor Irene. Yeah, I don't I don't think that probably helped. Especially as in the army, people usually refer to each other as their surnames. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Constantly <laughs> oh, being dear. shouted nappy. In 1960, his daughter was born, who was named Catherine. It was at this point Donald decided to change his surname from Nappy to Nielsen, as he was worried that Catherine may face the same humiliation and bullying that he had experienced at school and in the army. So from now on, I'll refer to him as Nielsen. Like I mentioned before, he didn't adjust to civilian life very well. He worked as a carpenter and a builder with two failed business attempts, one being a taxi firm and the other a security guard. But he struggled with money. He really didn't like to work for someone and really struggled with authority. So in 1965, five years after his daughter was born, he began his burglary career. He managed to burgle over 400 houses without detection during his early days, which is a lot of houses. That's reminiscent of it. Is it the Golden State Killer? Mm Mm-hmm. Is it the Golden State Killer? Did loads of burglaries, was really good at it? Yes, yes, yes. There are, I think, a few similarities along the way. Maybe they're long-lost brothers or something. (laughs) Maybe, maybe. Donald Nielsen had many nicknames, such as the Phantom, Handy Andy, which is my (laughs) favourite. And he ended up becoming the notorious Black Panther. So that's the one that really stuck. That's a 
frustratingly badass nickname, isn't it? You think they'd give him? I guess he wasn't killing at that point, so they probably were a bit more liberal with how yes nice they were with their nickname offerings. Yes, yes, maybe, maybe. Handy Andy, I think, should be the one. <laughs> Andy Andy is the one. He's the one for me. Yeah, <laughs> that's the one. Unfortunately, Nielsen was pretty smart, and he kept the police off his back as he would change his MO every few weeks. For example, he would steal a certain item from each house and leave it nearby. And once the pattern was understood by the police, he would do something else. So the police would think they were getting somewhere, and then they'd be right back to square one. They, he literally had them wrapped around his finger. It's like a game. Like a game to him. Yeah. Like the world's biggest board game. They're just, yeah, completely playing games. You can't get any closer. And the police didn't really have a chance at this point. And um, I think this is also very similar to The Golden State Killer as well. Yeah, yeah, it is actually. Sorry, that was really excitable. It is, that is really similar. I remember reading now that he'd change locations and he'd change uh, his MO frequently as well. They kind of worked out what the police were going for and the, the police were looking for patterns, so they kind of just led them down the garden path. Well, the Golden State Killer was a police officer and I guess if yes. uh, Nielsen used to be in the army, kind of different, actually pretty different, but I guess he maybe, maybe he, he must have known something somehow. Yeah, I, there must be some sort of connection. I mean, he was very smart about it. Mm. He wouldn't actually earn very much from the small houses he burgled until he stole guns and ammunition from a house in Cheshire. He decided to up his stealing to small post offices. 18 post offices were robbed between 1971 and 1974. A lot of post offices. Crimes became more and more violent as the occupants were becoming more protective over their property, especially as word was out that someone was breaking into the post offices. So Nielsen decided that, you know, he felt like he had to defend himself. As you can see, it's starting to unravel. The crimes are getting more and more aggressive. He now has weapons that he's using against these people who are protecting their house. Mm. February 1972. One night, he broke into a sub-post office located in a private home in Rochdale Road, Haywood, Lancashire. Leslie Richardson, postmaster, and his wife woke to a hooded man in their bedroom. Uh, that sounds terrifying. <laughs> So bad, so bad. Leslie jumped out of bed and tackled the intruder whilst his wife phoned the police. During the fight, Nielsen showed him the sawn-off shotgun. I wanted to explain a little bit why a sawn-off shotgun is maybe more dangerous than a regular one. And it's not because it's any more powerful. It's actually because it's less accurate and there's a shorter range to it. So the pellets spray out uncontrollably which actually makes it more dangerous for the victim because there's more chance of them being hit, basically. Mm. And it's also a shorter barrel length, which makes it easy to manoeuvre and conceal, which is why a lot of criminals decide to saw it off, which is actually illegal. It's portable. The shotgun needs on the go. So, Leslie's tackling Donald, and Donald says in a West Indies accent, which I'm not going to do. <laughs> yes, please don't. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Donald says, this is loaded. Leslie saw that it was pointed to the ceiling and responded, which is so ballsy, we'll find out if it's loaded, and pulls the trigger himself. Ooh. He shots two holes in the ceiling. So it's something from a, an action film. Right? What a good line. Like, this is loaded. <laughs> we'll find out if it's loaded. The fight continued and Richardson pulled the black hood off. Uh-oh. Nielsen stamped on Richardson's foot and broke several toes and then kneed him in the groin, which is one hefty stamp. What's his wife doing during this? Calling the police. Calling the police. Yeah. Richardson collapsed to the floor and Nielsen escapes without taking anything with him. Richardson gave the police a description of what Nielsen looked like. However... It really wasn't an accurate representation of him. Unfortunately, it was actually one of six photo fits that were unrealistic to Donald. So later on, the police talked to other witnesses and they end up getting six descriptions and photo fits 
that actually don't match Nielsen at all. So it kind of shows how sometimes an eyewitness isn't that reliable. Yeah, memory can be easily manipulated, especially if it's a highly intense situation that you've just come from. Just as someone stomp on your foot and break loads of toes. and Definitely. Also, they maybe maybe the sketch artists weren't very good as well or something. <laughs> yeah, maybe. We're going to move on to the first murder. Two years later, in 1974, he killed three people in the post office robberies. The first one, in February 1974, he shot dead Ronald Skepper, sub-postmaster in Harrogate, where Skepper had confronted Nielsen. In September 1974, seven months later, he killed Derek Aston of Bexedon, sub-postmaster. The police were quick to start linking these murders together. Bexedon's murder was the reason he was known as the Black Panther. During the interview with a local television reporter, Aston's wife Marion described Nielsen as so quick he was like a panther. Suggesting he was wearing black clothing, the reporter ended the piece with, where is this Black Panther? And from then, the name stuck. They're crafty, those those people in the media. They've given him a really cool sounding nickname, but he's just killed a bloke. I know. I feel like they glamorise it though, isn't it? It's all for selling papers. Yeah, it's like making it into a game. Yeah. During this burglary, he actually only got £800 and some postal orders. Postal orders are like cheques, but you don't need a bank account to withdraw the money. Yes, not very... He's clearly not put a high value on life. So in November, two months later, 1974, Sidney Grayland, 55, was the third victim in Langley, West Midlands. He was the husband of the sub-purse mistress, Margaret Grayland, who was actually brutally battered during this attack. It's mad that he's gone from like killing, like he didn't he start robbing in uh, burglaries in nineteen sixty five, and then nine years later he's killed three people all in one year. Yeah, it's a very very quick, rapid change of events. The the violence of just is, it's got completely out of control. Yeah, it's mad. From the first one, it was seven months, and then this one's only two months apart. During the investigations, there was many descriptions of Nielsen made, and most were, like I said, inaccurate. However, the sub-host mistress, Margaret Grayland, was extremely accurate. And she was the best one out of the lot. Big up Margaret. She's clearly got a good memory. Yeah, man. Even though she was was brutally, brutally attacked. Mm. Forensics show that the bullets that were fired in both Aston's murder and Grayland's were used from the same .22 LR pistol. So the police are already linking them quite well together. Uh Uh-huh. So I'd like to move on to Leslie Whittle. Leslie was born 1957, and at 17 was Nielsen's youngest victim. She was the daughter of a known coach transport business owner, George Whittle, and his mistress. George Whittle had left a fortune to his mistress and his children, Leslie and Ronald. A grand total of 82,500. It's a lot of money back then. It would have been, definitely. It's a lot of money now. It's more than I have. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd happily accept that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> After hearing about the family dispute over the fortune that George had left in his will, Nielsen had planned for three years to gain some of that fortune. It's a long old time. 14th of January 1975, he entered the Whittles family home in Highley, Shropshire. Which is where I am now, in Shropshire. Oh, nice. Mm, little link. We've yep. come full circle. Full circle. He entered the Whittles family home in Highley and kidnapped Leslie, who was in her bedroom at the time. She was only dressed in her dressing gown. Kidnapped her. Yes, yeah, he he kidnapped her, took her away. He calculated that the family would not miss 50,000 of their fortune. So he left a ransom note in their family's lounge with that exact amount on it and said that Leslie would be killed if he suspected that the police had become involved and he didn't receive the money. However, the family did contact the police, although elaborate measures were taken to make sure that Nielsen was not alerted. 
Leslie's naked body was found a week later. Mm. It is really, it is really, really sad. And I'll go into the circumstances that led up to this during this week. But yeah, 50,000 told not to tell the police, hand it over to him. I don't know. Would you contact the police? Oh, it's hard to say. I mean, it's one of those things, isn't it? I don't know what the... I'd have to Google it. You know, <laughs> I'd have to Google it and find out what to do. What to do when someone's been held ransom? Yeah, because <laughs> like they always say, don't contact the police. They always do, don't they? It's never going to be like, please contact your local authorities <laughs> about this crime. So yeah, they'd always say that, it's, but I presume more often than not, the police are contacted. It's probably because I reckon that I'd be, you know, heads all over the place. So what do you do? Yeah, go and get some professionals. You can't think straight. But And also, like, they still want the money, so maybe... Yeah. You kind of be thinking, okay, they're unlikely to kill this person. That would be my guess. Obviously, he did kill her, so... I mean, Donald Nielsen was clearly a bit more ruthless. Did he kill her because the police were involved, out of curiosity? Or? Well, I, I will go into it. There's, it's, it's quite an unusual circumstance, so... I will inform you shortly. <laughs> but yeah, I think... <laughs> dun, dun, dun. No, I think it's a difficult one because if you give the money quite easily, what's to stop Nielsen saying, okay, give me more and then more and then more? Where, where's the stopping point? Where does it end? Where does it end? Well, now Leslie may have seen what Donald looks like. No, I mean, like, where does it end? Like him asking for more money. That wasn't me, that wasn't me saying, like, where does the story end? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. No, I get that. I think he would continue to ask for money until it stopped. And then he probably wouldn't want to give Leslie back because there's too much evidence against him. So it's a very difficult situation. So yeah, like you said, police, the professionals kind of know what to do. Yeah, getting the, the, the main men. Due to some blunders made by the police and other circumstances, Ronald, the brother was unable to deliver some of the money at the time and place demanded by Nielsen. Oh, God. Don't get the police involved. That's my answer. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's not a good line. Next. Yeah, tell the police. Oh, shit. No, they've... uh... (laughs) Yeah, they've bodged it. (laughs) Oh, they've bodged it. Apparently, Ronald was supposed to meet at Bathpool Park, Kingsgrove, only meters away from where Leslie was being held, which makes matters even more worse. Within days, it was thought that she was taken into a deep drainage shaft beneath Bathpool Park, near Kingsgrove, 50 feet below the ground, which is the park where Ronald was to meet Donald. That's a confusing set of names, isn't it? I know. (laughs) Ronald and Donald. So Ronald's meant to meet Donald in this park, Meters away, under his feet, was his sister, which is just so morbid. That is morbid. He was meant to wait in the park for Nielsen's signal with a torch. However, unfortunately, there was another couple that were walking in the park, which sparked confusion. How so? Secretly, or discreetly, the police were meant to cordon off the park so that the only person that would end up in the park would be Donald. Mm. However, if they let this other couple walk in the park at night, which most likely had another torch as well, so there was a confusion of which direction he was meant to meet and then missed the time and the slot and the place, so then Donald didn't turn up. The police, I don't know, it was a a very unfortunate situation. Nielsen then went to Dudley, where he tried to rob a railway yard, which the security guard, Gerald Smith, was guarding it. Gerald unfortunately was shot six times. Initially, he survived it. However, a year and one day later, he died from complications from his injuries. Oh, that's horrible. That's a whole year that he's had to go through that. Yeah, I know. That is really, really, really sad. During this attempt, Donald left his car behind. And eight days later, the police found the stolen green Aston 1300, and inside were recordings of Leslie's voice and shotgun cartridges that matched the previous post office shootings, linking him to the crime. Which was a really stupid move from Mr. Smart Donald. Yeah, it's only just dawned on me as well, it's so weird that he 
went from like it's it's just like a roller coaster of changes in terms of what he's up to. Yeah. Like burgling, and then killing. Now he's kidnapping young girls. Some money. I I think he's just he's completely yeah, he's like he's all over the place and he's got this girl in a drainage shaft whilst he's doing that he's now going to the rob a railway yard and and then he leaves the car there and it's all a bit he he goes from being someone that's quite calculating changing his own mo not mm. making sure the police aren't following him and really calculating all of his decisions and moves and now he's just he got sloppy he's all unraveling yeah he got he got sloppy yeah exactly it was a month after the discovery of the stolen car that the police found the body of Leslie. Leslie's body was found on the 7th of March 1975, approximately 52 days later. The police conducted a proper search of Bathpool Park, the site where the fail ransom drop occurred, where they made the gruesome discovery in the drainage shaft. So that's how they found that they were doing like a proper search and then realised. Yeah, where the ransom was meant to occur. And they looked and found her. She was hanging from a wire at the bottom of a drainage shaft where he had tethered her. Post-mortem examination showed that she died from vagal inhibition, not strangulation. Now, vagal inhibition leads to sudden death. It is a pressure that's put on the neck where the vagal nerve runs down. It's the longest nerve in the autonomic nervous system in the human body it regulates things like heart rate blood pressure sweating etc when there's pressure that's built up sudden death can occur oh that makes me feel all funny that makes me feel all yeah i know it's 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 uh i just hope it is as quick and as sudden as it seems because it is just so awful don't like it i know don't like it don't like it at all The shock of the fall that had occurred stopped her heart. And it was debated whether Nielsen had pushed her off the ledge, where he kept her, or whether she fell. Oh, okay, so to confirm, she was being kept with a wire around her neck on a ledge yes. of some steps or something. Yes, so I believe it was some steps going down, and she's got this ligature that is attached around her neck. And later on, I'll go into the length of that wire and how tall she was and like kind of the logistics of whether it was unfortunate, because I believe that the ligature got caught somewhere. And if it hadn't got caught, would she have survived? Would she not have? And I'll go into it a little bit later on. But yes, she has stood on a ledge, I believe, one foot from the ground. So it's only a little bit higher. Some believe that he wasn't there when she died. And on the night that he didn't receive the ransom, some think that he fled away thinking that the police were closing in on him. It is thought that Whittle spent a long time in the dark before her death. Pathologists said that she weighed only 98 pounds, 44 kilos or 7 stone. Her stomach and her intestines were completely empty and she had lost a lot of weight and was emaciated. That's horrible. It's so, it's a really, really unfortunate, unfortunate way to go. Nielsen said she hadn't eaten anything for a minimum of three days, which is the length of time food passes through the body completely. However, it is believed that it was far longer than this. Detective Chief Superintendent Bob Booth led the inquiry. He said, quote, I felt sick that this should have happened. We let her down. I let her down. I'm in charge and it was my fault, he told in a documentary. After this, Nielsen went back to burglaries of post offices. Nine months after the murder. He t- well, he had like, he took nine months off, basically. Yeah, before going back to his criminal ways. So back to robbing, I suppose. Regressed. Yeah. Yeah. November 1975, two police officers, Tony White and Stuart McKenzie, were in a police car on a roadside keeping watch on the main A60 truck road leading to Mansfield in North Nottingham. 
they had spotted a small wiry man passing through, carrying a holdall. As he passed, he turned away from the car and looked very suspicious, which drew Mackenzie's attention, so they decided to question him. The man said he was on his way home from work, but then he produced a sawn-off shotgun from the holdall. Uh-oh. We can all guess who this is. Yeah, I'm going to presume that's our man, Donald Nielsen. Uh, I think so. <laughs> he ordered White to get into the back of the car. The policeman opened the car door, with, but the gunman snapped, no. Oh, so, so he's threatening the police at this point? Oh, yeah. Oh, right. I just presumed they found the Shawnoff shotgun and were like, oh, you're coming with us. This is a proper hostage situation now. Literally, these two police officers sat in a marked police car just on the side of this busy truck road. If they noticed anything suspicious, then they would pull it in. This wiry-haired man, we now know is Donald, walks past them, sees the car, looks away and starts acting really weird and suspicious. That catches Mackenzie's attention. So Mackenzie's like, right, we're going to go and question him. They go and ask him to come on over, basically. The man... Nielsen says, oh no, I'm just on my way home from work. And then he decides to pull out the sh- sawn-off shotgun from his holdall. <laughs> Fucking hell. So he's, yeah, he's literally turned it into a hostage situation with police. So he orders White, the other police officer, into the back of the car. And the police officer starts to open the car door and Nielsen snaps. No time for that. Climb the seat. The police officer did as requested and Nielsen settled into the passenger seat, thrusting the gun into Mackenzie's ribs just under his armpit. This must be so scary. He demanded them to drive to Rainsworth, six miles away, and told them not to look at him. Mackenzie explained that they were going the wrong way and that they would have to turn the car around. Nielsen agreed, but he said if there were any tricks, he would kill them both. As they drive along Southwell Road, Nielsen asked if they had any rope in the car. Uh-oh, don't like where that's going. Yeah. As White pretends to look around, Mackenzie reaches a junction in the road and pretended that they were lost. He starts turning the steering wheel quickly one way and then the other. Which way, left or right, he says, causing Nielsen to look towards the road ahead. White saw his chance. Mackenzie shouts, get him. White pushes the gun forwards and Mackenzie slams the brakes. They screech to a stop outside the Junction Fish and Chip Shop in Rainsworth. The shotgun goes off, skimming and injuring White's hand. They were both deafened by the blast. Mackenzie flew open the driver's door and fell out, banging his head on the road. He stumbles and runs to the Fish and Chip Shop, shouting for assistance. He thought that White was dead, and White thought that Mackenzie was dead, so they both didn't know. They both thought the other police officer was dead, basically. Yes. However, White had managed to get Nielsen in a headlock. These two police officers... Superstars. Absolute superstars. They're so in tune with each other that they know what the other one is going to do without even having to say a thing. Mm. And whilst one's sprinting out to go and get assistance, the other one's already got Nielsen in a headlock. Like, they're... So on it. One's got him in a headlock, one's going to get fish and chips. <laughs> <laughs> I know which I'd be. <laughs> Mackenzie said, quote, We knocked ten bells out of him. I pulled him out of the car. We wrestled to the ground. He was only five foot six. You seem right as me. <laughs> but he fought like a wild animal. He was very powerful. He was a cold-blooded killer and he had planned to take us to Sherwood Forest to blow us away. So as you can tell, Mackenzie was pretty shaken by this whole experience. Rightly so. They, it sounds like they knew that he, they were being driven to their death, so they had to kind of do something. Mm. Quite impressive. Very impressive. God, that quick thinking. Yeah, really quick thinking. Roy Morris and Keith Wood were in the queue outside the fish and chip shop and they ran over to help. Nielsen couldn't compete with these two men. Wood hit Nielsen with a blow to the neck before Morris held out his wrists for White to handcuff him. Due to all the commotion, the public realised who this could be and started to attack him. 
In the end, the police had to protect Nielsen. They dragged Nielsen to some iron railings at the side of a bus stop and handcuffed him there before calling for backup. When Nielsen was taken in, you know, arrested for this crime, the the mugshots are quite impressive. People managed to get a hold of him. Um, and, yeah, they, they were pretty angry with him. I wonder if there was still someone in the queue for the fish and chip shop. <laughs> just sat there eating their cone of chips and... Uh, <laughs> I just bloody want more trippers. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to drop these for no one. (laughs) (laughs) Nielsen's fingerprints were found to match the ones that were in the drain shaft. In the interview at Kidsgrove Police Station, he refused to answer questions. But then finally, he gave a full confession of the kidnap of Leslie Whittle. During this, the police got a warrant to search his house, where they found trophies, black hoods and even a model of a Black Panther. See, didn't I say? The the bloody media and their yeah. funky nicknames, and they've ended up... He loved it. ...playing into his ego. Oh, absolutely. The police had all the evidence they needed to get Donald Nielsen. During Nielsen's trial at Oxford Crown Court on the 14th of June, 1976, his defence lawyer, Gilbert Gray, mm. contended that... Leslie Whittle had actually fallen accidentally and died. It was just an accident that she died. What, with a ligature around her neck? Literally, like, I roll. (laughs) (laughs) In his closing speech for the defence, Gilbert Gray noted ways that he tried to provide her with comfort. For instance, he asked the jury whether they believed that any hangman noose would be padded and lagged with 77 and a half inches of elastoplast, so like plasters, to avoid chafing. He seems to have been clutching at straws. Oh, it's a first-class noose. The best noose I've ever seen. How that this is this is a plausible defence, it's just... Yeah. <laughs> Why is there anything around her neck in the foot? Why is she even being kidnapped? He noted that Whittle would not have died if the wire had not snagged because her feet were only six inches from the bottom of the shaft. He still put it round her. And wasn't it like a pressure thing, so... Exactly. So it wasn't strangulation in the end anyway. It was a pressure of um, the ligature around her neck, pushing on that certain part of her neck that ended up causing sudden death as she fell. So she slipped off this ledge and that shock as well as the pressure on her neck caused the sudden death yeah i've heard better defenses i know it, it yeah it's it's not good the height from her neck to the floor was 4 feet and there was 5 feet length of ligature for overall calculates to 9 feet so the drop from the landing to the floor of the tunnel was 6 feet 11 inches. The, this is what the defence said, by the way. So that if it had not been for the un- unforeseen snagging that had shortened the tether, there would have been a spare 2 feet, which she would have landed with her feet at the bottom of the shaft. No problems. Basically, they're saying that there was 9 feet... The tunnel was 6 feet 11 inches, so there'd be a spare 2 feet. It's just unfortunate that it was snagged. It was an accident. He didn't want her to die. Yeah, but she can, She still wouldn't be able to like sit down or anything. No. And this is like she's been starved for days. Yeah, exactly. Absolute torture. He even like goes into saying that he gave her a range of food to eat. And there's examples of it, which is polo mints. Spaghetti and meatballs and some fish and chips. However, the prosecution disputed these claims. So they kept going in with things like he gave her a sleeping bag to prevent hypothermia, mattresses, a bottle of brandy, some books and puzzles. These items were all found in the shaft. He looked after her well. She's in a shaft, kidnapped at 17. Thank goodness all of the attempts to defend Nielsen didn't work. On the 1st of July, he was convicted of all charges except two attempted murders. 
He was convicted of the kidnapping and murder of Leslie Whittle and given a life sentence. Convicted of the murders of the two postmartyrs and the husband of the postmistress. Five life sentences in total were presented by Judge M.R. Justice Mars Jones. He had given him 61 years. 21 years for the kidnapping of Leslie, 10 years for blackmailing her mother, three further sentences of 10 years each were imposed for the two burglary charges where he stole the guns and ammunition and for possessing a sawn-off shotgun with intent to endanger life. All sentences were to be run concurrently. He was found acquitted for the attempted murder of sub-postmistress Margaret Grayland and PC Tony White. He was acquitted for the crime of battering Margaret Grayland, even though she was the only one that gave a really good description of him. Yes, so he was found guilty of GBH of Mrs. Grayland. Oh, uh, okay. But he was not. He was acquitted for the attempted murder of her. Oh, uh, I get you. I got you. And of possessing a shotgun with the intent of endangering lives at Mansfield. He was charged with the attempted murder of the security guard, Gerald Smith, which, if you remember, he was shot six times. Didn't he die a year later? Oh, I guess so he was still alive at this point. He died during this trial. He had died. He was charged for the attempted murder, even though he died a year and a day after this horrific event. They were unable to charge him for the death, even though it was a direct result of what he'd done. There was complications with the laws. Since then, the laws have been changed in the UK to prevent this from happening again. So basically, there was complications. Even because he died in such a long time frame afterwards, they wouldn't accept it as murder, even though it was a direct response to what he did to him. Um, so he only got attempted murder for that. Yeah, the laws have definitely changed. I've heard similar situations and... Now you get charged, even if they die several years later, I think. Yeah, which I think is a really good thing. I mean, poor Gerald Smith suffered for so long. Yeah, six gunshots as well, it's pretty clear he was hoping to kill him. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Trial judge recommended that he received a whole life tariff. So after all of this was announced, Gray, Nielsen's defence, visited the client afterwards and allegedly he was curled up in the fetal position supposedly filled with remorse for Whittle and her family. But in my eyes, this just screams guilt. I'd say so, yeah. Like, he's been caught. He's done for. He, didn't, he doesn't seem like the remorseful type. No, I don't think so. I think his behaviour shows up very, very well. 17th of December, 2011. He died after being taken to Norfolk and Norwich university hospital 2007 he died 2011 oh, 2011 oh wow so really not that long ago i never saw that either yeah me neither so yeah he died in not uh N norfolk and norwich university Pr hospital from norwich prison with breathing difficulties he had been suffering with motor neuron disease he died the next day after being admitted to hospital at age 75 after spending 36 years in prison. Wow, so he managed to do all of that, all of those crimes by the age of 29. Mm-hmm. And he'd been in the army and been abroad and shit. That's mad. So, so he died at 75 and he'd spent 36 years. Wait. Yeah. No, my maths is wrong, yeah. I think. 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, that person will have seen you. Are you going to release them? Are you not? I don't think... You know, he's already killed people before. I don't think he probably intended to give her back. He's not a remorseful person. He's an evil person. And he has killed in the past. 
What do you think? Well, what's weird is that he planned he planned it for like three years, didn't you say? Yeah, that is true. Three years he planned, and he still managed to bodge it all up. That, that, yeah. It's weird. Was he married the whole time, by the way? Do you know? Yeah, with a child. That's mad. Yes. Yeah. And there were actually questions on whether the wife knew anything. And the magistrate said that whilst they had every sympathy for her, they also did say that her activities showed a deliberate course of conduct. Like, she received, she ended up receiving 12 months in prison. Yeah, well, she must have been a big dum-dum because he was getting all this money from somewhere. <laughs> she didn't play a big part in it. I don't think she... I think that she probably didn't have the best life living with Nielsen. I don't think he'd be a particularly nice person to live with. She got 12 months, and I think she was released out of prison after eight months um after a good behavior um but yeah i don't think she was um involved that much with well i don't think she was involved in what he was doing but from i don't think she questioned whether maybe where the money went so that's why she got eight months in total i did read a little bit about her i I do have a little bit of sympathy for her i don't think she signed up for the wrath of Nilsson. Yeah, just think if he had a different name that wasn't Nappy, maybe this would have ended differently. <laughs> you're right, you're right. I, yeah. Maybe, we'll never know. Maybe, maybe. That was a really interesting case, and it wasn't one that I've ever heard of, really. Like I said, when he dies in 2011, I don't even remember reading about that, so thank you for sharing, Georgia. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. I, I really enjoyed doing this one. I, I liked researching it. Enjoyed probably is the wrong word. <laughs> it's a really interesting one. I haven't really heard many people talk about it, but it's such a unusual practice that he did. Keeping someone down a drainage shaft, the unravelling of his criminal behaviour. And yeah, it's a really, really interesting one. But yeah, like you said, I didn't hear about it in 2011 either. Maybe that complete. I just feel like this one's slightly overlooked. Went under the radar. Yeah, under the radar. You'd have to thank your dad for pointing you in the direction of this case. Yeah, for sure. It is a good suggestion. And I hope you all enjoyed it as much as we did. We did indeed. I'll speak on behalf of everyone. Should we run through (laughs) some socials? Not that we do any other than Instagram, but let's do it anyway. I know. (laughs) I think we need to get better at it. So send your emails or anything you like, your stories, anything... To our email address at gorenguiltypodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram where you can see lots of photos related to the cases that we talk about, as well as other fun things, at goreandguiltypodcast. Follow us on Twitter at goreandguilty. Join our Facebook group, goreandguiltypodcast. And remember, we won't judge if... Gore is your guilty pleasure. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. <laughs> see ya. Thank you very much, guys. Bye. Bye.